Hello and welcome to another episode of Desert Island Dishes with me, Margie. Thank you for listening. And if you've subscribed, thank you very much. And if you've rated Desert Island Dishes and left a review, well, quite simply, you're the best. Thank you. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing for you. I'm not that mean. Anyway, feeling very Christmassy, my house is covered in fairy lights, we've had snow, and I've taste tested several hundred mince pies. This is a really inspiring episode. If you've come up with a great idea but don't know what to do next, or if you've ever thought of starting your own business, then Tessa is full of tips and tricks, and I know you're going to learn something, if not lots of things. Two years ago, Tessa and her business partner, Sasha Celestial One, which, by the way, has to be the coolest name in the history of names, they teamed up, they built an app, and they went from having just an idea to having over 330,000 users, which is amazing. So I hope you enjoyed this one, and I will see you on the other side. My guest today is Tessa Cook. Tessa is the co-founder of Olio, the free food sharing app. Olio was launched back in February 2015 by Tessa and her co-founder, Sasha. The two founders met at business school in California. They launched the app just a few months after having the idea and gave themselves a year to make it work, agreeing that if it hadn't taken off by then, they would go back to their day jobs. Tessa is a farmer's daughter and worked in various digital managing director roles, including in retail, media and the financial services. Welcome, Tessa. Hello. (laughs) So nice to meet you. So you and your co-founder, Sasha, founded Olio back in February 2015. For anyone who doesn't know, can you tell us exactly what Olio is? Yep. So we are a free app that is tackling the terrible problem of good food being thrown away. What most people probably don't realize is that well over half of all the food waste um, in this country takes place in the home and we throw away a third of all the food we produce. So our solution is a really simple one. It's a mobile app that connects neighbors with each other so that you can share your unwanted food rather than throw it away. It's such a good idea. So it's kind of for everyone, it's for individuals, but also businesses. It's kind of small scale as well as big scale. Yep. So we're focused on food waste in the home and local community. So the average UK family throws away £700 sterling of food each year that could have oh been eaten. Goodness. So we connect neighbours to share uh, their unwanted food. And then the other half of what we do is we connect our volunteers with their local supermarket or cafe or bakery. And those volunteers will collect the unsold food at the end of the day, take it home, add it to the app and share it with their local community. Oh, what a genius idea. So it's kind of like free cycle, but food based. For food, yeah. I think actually um, Xanthi Clay described it as think Tinder for your tins or a fostering service for your fridge and fruit bowl, which is kind of amazing. (laughs) Yeah, she's spot on the money. Yeah. And it just seems like it ticks so many boxes because it's for people who love food. It's for people who hate waste, for people who don't have enough food, for people who want to get to know their neighbors. I mean, it just seems like such a all encompassing idea. Yeah. I mean, we think that Olio is just a common sense solution to one of the craziest problems facing humanity today, which is insane levels of food waste on the one hand and just unconscionable levels of hunger coexisting alongside that. And we think that the the solution really is just about reconnecting communities again. Human beings have 
thrived and evolved uh, through having strong communities. And we're just using mobile technology to reconnect neighbours with each other to share and to help each other out and to have fun in the process. Oh, such a good idea. It's like everyone always says the best ideas are kind of the ones where you think, how's no one thought of that before? <laughs> and that's what you've done. Yeah. Okay, that seems a good moment to pause and talk about the first desert island dish of the day. Yep. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. As you mentioned in your intro, I'm a farmer's daughter. Uh, and my mum, when I was very young, she started breeding a rare breed of pig called the Oxford Sandy Black, Ooh. which is Oxford Sandy and Black, sorry, which was in danger of uh, becoming extinct. And uh, so she bought uh, a pig and then started breeding her own pigs. And we had a really thriving sort of family of pigs with us. But as a result, we um, sort of dishes that remind me of my childhood are pork related. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my mum used to make her own homemade sausages, uh, Amazing. which were absolutely uh, phenomenal. Roast pork was a very regular feature uh, at home. So yeah, any, anything sort of uh, pork related. And then I guess the other thing that really reminds me of eating and food at home is anything to do with leftovers. So yes. my mum was incredibly resourceful. So variants of bubble and squeak were regular, uh, had regular appearances. Oh, bubble and squeak has got yeah. to be an all-time favourite. So good. So yeah, going back in time to your childhood, it sounds like your mum was very entrepreneurial. Yep. That was something that you were obviously around from a young age and you grew up on the farm. When you were younger, I guess watching your mum and being influenced by that, did you dream of starting your own business? So I didn't dream of starting my own business as such because to be honest, I didn't really know what a business was. Yeah. Um, uh, I, we sort of lived in really quite a remote upbringing. So it really was just of me, my two brothers and, and my parents on the family farm. But what I did learn early on that I think have carried through with me through for the rest of my life is, is a couple of things. So one, I learned the value of hard work. Yes, very important. <laughs> um, it was kind of unavoidable. Uh, as soon, when you live on a family farm, as soon as you can walk, you are useful and you're yeah. put to work <laughs> feeding animals. But also linked to that, and that's very much brought me to where I am today, I learned the true value of food because when you and your family are working every hour in the day to produce food, to feed not only yourselves, but to feed um, people more broadly, you would never dream of throwing that good food away. Yeah, And so that's why I'm someone who I hate, hate, hate food waste. Um, and that has, was a big part of why I wanted to set up Olio. Yeah. Isn't that amazing that something, you know, all of those childhood experiences would lead you to where you are now. I love that so much. Yeah. So what exactly were you doing before you launched Olio? So I had a fairly classic corporate career. Yeah. And the inspiration for Olio actually came when I was moving country and I was moving from living overseas back to the UK. Well, you were in Switzerland. I was in Switzerland, yes. And I was on maternity leave and I was packing up my boxes and the removal men said, you need to throw away all that food. And uh, as you will have gathered, <laughs> that was not something that I was going to do. So much to their <laughs> irritation, I stopped packing my boxes. I bundled up my newborn baby and my toddler and set out onto the streets to try and find someone to give the food to. And I failed. Oh, no. And it was in that moment that I, having worked in digital for 15 years, it became uh, very clear to me why isn't you know there's an app for everything why isn't there an app where I can share my 
surplus food. And so that was the genesis of Olio. I love that so much. It was literally a light bulb moment. It, it yes, yeah, sounds very cliche, no. but it really was. No, I love that. I don't think that's cliched at all. I think that's it's the, the making of a really great idea. So let's talk about your second desert island dish of the yes. day. And that is the first dish you learned to cook. Well, um, it's not particularly exciting, but it was scrambled eggs. That's a great <laughs> answer. To somewhere. <laughs> Very basic. And in fact, I have, I've got two small children myself. They're three uh, and five and they both already know how to make scrambled oh, eggs. Oh, do so. they? That's so nice. Yes. Have you got a special technique? Uh, I would love to say that I have, but no, I don't think so. Actually, I will confess I'm a little bit lazy. I, uh, I was taught that I was supposed to sort of, uh, you know, scramble the eggs in a... Uh, in a uh, sort of jar or dish beforehand and then put it in the pan. I must admit, I just crack the egg straight into the pan, put in a splash of milk and then scramble it real Nothing time. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and good to know that that works. So that's yes. a top tip from Tessa. There we go. Um, so you had the idea for the business. You met with Sasha, you yes. told her about the idea. And then is it true that within an hour, you already had a name for the app? Sasha and I were working on another idea and we realized with very heavy hearts after spending a month of working on it that that idea was not going to work. And uh, I went and put my, at the time, newborn baby to bed. And I came back downstairs again and I said, Sasha, I've had this other really crazy idea. Please don't judge, but, and shared my experience uh, and the idea of Olio and, and a food sharing app with her. And uh, whilst other people that I had told had thought that perhaps I was going a little crazy, I've got baby brain, <laughs> Sasha, um, with her background, so her parents are hippie uh, entrepreneurs. She was brought up very much in a waste, not want, not environment as well. She immediately got uh, the idea of Olio. And yes, we, we spent about an hour sort of dissecting and analyzing the problem and our solution. And we committed there and then that we were going to give ourselves a year to make Olio work. Oh, I love that so much because I think that just shows sometimes you do have to be a bit brave when you've got these ideas because it can be really scary putting it out there and, you know, other people yeah. maybe thought you were a bit crazy, but it just shows it's all about talking and meeting yeah. the right people in the right time, the right place. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly recommend to anyone who is thinking about doing something entrepreneurial, it has to be the right time for you personally yeah. in your life. And... I would strongly recommend doing it with a co-founder. Yes. It just makes the whole journey so much easier, so much more enjoyable. And I think it significantly increases your probability of success yeah, as well. That's really good advice. It can be quite a lonely world yeah. if you're just on your own yes. and you're undoubtedly going to have lows and hopefully they don't coincide with your co-founders lows. So you can kind of pick yeah, each other up. Exactly. Um, what was the thought process behind the name? The name we absolutely love. Uh, so it, the the thought process was we need to, we wanted a name that we could own. So we yeah. didn't want it to be sort of, you know, we did discuss the food exchange network. We just thought that was very boring, very prescriptive, not at all memorable. Bit of a mouthful. A bit of a mouthful <laughs> as well. Yes. Um, so we wanted, and we, we really did think sort of, you know, Facebook, Google, Twitter, Amazon, you know, food exchange network. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Olio. Yes. It just works. Um, and so we were... We used our friend at Google and, and uh, Thesaurus and 
were looking for synonyms that could be appropriate for us. And Olio means a miscellaneous collection of things. Oh, great. Which, if you look in the app, is indeed what you will see. It's also a traditional Mediterranean stew. And as you'll know, stew is a classic dish to prevent uh, food waste. That's so true. So it works on both those levels. And then also, we love the fact that it's got two O's in it. And Olio is all about the circular economy, sharing, community. And finally, we thought it sounded quite elegant as a word. And we were very clear from the outset that Olio needed to, if we were to solve the problem of food waste and solve it at scale, Olio had to be mainstream and it had to appeal to everybody and be slightly aspirational rather than being seen as this crazy weird thing that a few hippies are doing. Yeah. (laughs) So for all those reasons, Olio was a, was, was a, the right choice for us. Yeah, it's a brilliant. I love that. There's so many layers behind yeah. why it's such a like, <laughs> even just one of those reasons would have been great. Okay, Tessa, we're moving on to the third desert island dish of the day, and that is the best dish you've ever eaten. I think I'm going to dodge this slightly and not go for the best dish, but go for the best meal that's I've ever had, if that's fine. okay. So there is an absolutely phenomenal restaurant in Bath, yeah. which is where I lived for four years, and it's called Menu Gordon Jones. And on the outside, it is completely unassuming. But on the inside, it's got table space for just 16 guests yep. or 16 diners. And the chef, who is called Gordon Jones, <laughs> um, he he cooks for you there in front of you. And every, you can do a five or a seven course taster menu and everybody eats all at the same time. So you build this wonderful community with a group of people that you've never met before. And each course of food is nothing short of a a work of art. It's just absolutely spectacularly beautiful and tastes even better than it looks, if if that's possible. So without a doubt, uh, Menu Gordon Jones and... Do you remember something that you had in particular? I, I just, I, I just remember. I do remember sort of eating lots of different varieties of flowers, which Ooh. I had never <laughs> really done before. So yeah, it was. But but each dish had so many different component parts, but each part played a role. Yeah. Um. And I would, uh, you didn't have any choice over what you ate, and you what you were about to eat was announced to you, sort of as it was. As, as it was given to you. And some of the ingredients I would perhaps think, oh, I, you know, I don't like that. But actually I did when it was all put together. Yeah. It just I something lo- magical happened. I love that way of eating. I think it's sort of, it used to be way more popular than it is now where you're just told what you're going to eat and hopefully it's going to make a bit of a comeback because it's really fun not having to choose and just being given it is and it feels very um it feels very special actually very indulgent yeah yeah um, because you're not having to worry or think about anything no and you just have that sense of anticipation excitement and most importantly Tessa you're not going to get food envy because you're all having the same thing (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly so you incorporated the company on the 9th of February 2015 and just decided, like you said, that you had a year to make it happen. What was the first thing that you did? How did you actually start trying to turn this idea into a reality? Yeah. So the first thing that we did was market research. So we did desk research to research the size of the problem of food waste. We discovered that globally, we throw away a third of all the food we produce, which is worth over a trillion US dollars. 
that there are a eight, third of a third. Oh I know. I, it's, it's, I, I sort of get so used to saying that stat, it, um, but it, it is you can't, yeah, truly you, shocking. You can't get your head around no, that, can no, you? It, it's, it, it's absolutely mind-boggling. So we throw, throw away a third of all the food we produce. We have 800 million people who go to bed hungry every evening. And is, is that globally? globally? Globally, yes. But even in a country like the UK, we have 8 million people here living in food insecurity and we have 4 million people living in severe food insecurity. So that's like walking around a city of London, which has a population of about 8 million people, mm-hmm. and every single person you see is living in food insecurity. They struggle to put food on the table. And one in two of every people you see in London regularly goes without food oh, and that's awful. in a country that is that is sort of supposedly civilized so mm. so that that was very shocking to discover and then the third thing which we really had no idea about was just how environmentally devastating food waste is so food waste is the third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions after the usa and china oh my goodness and that's because we are it's to do with all the energy, land, labor, and resources that go into producing that food. So a land mass larger than China is used every year to grow food that's never eaten. Oh. And then if you think of all the water that goes into producing that food, all the energy that goes into harvesting it, to shipping it, to producing it, to manufacturing it, all the packaging that goes around it. And then when food waste ends up in landfill, it creates methane, which is 23 times more deadly than CO2. Anyway, so we did all this desk research, which sort of galvanized us even more to solve this problem. We discovered that half of all food waste takes place in the home. So that was a big tick for we're solving a real problem from a desk research point of view. The next thing that we wanted to find out was this might be a macro problem, but is it a problem that affects individuals? So people even care about this. So we did a market research survey to friends, family, and we shared it on Facebook groups, had over 300 respondents. Right. And was the- that something like Survey Monkey? Yes. Right. Yep. And the key data point that we got out of that was that one in three people are physically pained throwing away good food. So they feel how Sasha and I feel about yeah. it. Yeah, physically so that, pained is a physically strong pained, response. And we deliberately use that language, physically pained, to get away from the, yeah, food waste is bad. Yeah. As a result of that, we then took the next step, which was to, before we invest our life savings building an app, yeah. which is expensive, <laughs> we thought, how can we test that these people who are physically pained throwing away good food will actually take that next step, which is to share it with a neighbor. And so we invited 12 people who had taken the market research survey, who said they were physically pained throwing away good food, but who lived near each other, put them onto a WhatsApp group for two weeks. That's such a good idea. And asked them to share any surplus food during that period of time. And we sort of waited with bated breath. And were they sort of, they were super keen or were they a bit well, like, we like the idea, but... They you know. were they were all extremely keen. They were people we had never met. So we organized all of this via email. And yeah, within, took about 24 or 48 hours for the first thing to be shared, which was very, very nerve wracking. And the first thing was half a bag of shallots, oh. which is very crouch end in North <laughs> London where we... Uh, where we did this I mean, experiment. they do come in big bags. They do come shallots, in big bags. Exactly. <laughs> um, but then after that two-week experiment, we met each of those people face-to-face, debriefed with them, and we got two pieces of feedback. One, you absolutely have to build this app. Um, and two, it just needs to be slightly better than a WhatsApp group. Ah, oh, I mean, that must have been the most incredible feeling to have had the idea and then have it validated that you are actually onto something that people not only needed, but they wanted. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that then gave us the confidence to invest our 
savings into building the app itself. And I think also that's such a good example of how important research is, because I think loads of people, myself definitely included, sort of underestimate how important that is because you think, oh, well, I think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. You get blinkers on and you just sort of plow on, but that's like the worst thing you can do. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Moving on to possibly the most important question of the day, and that is the fourth desert island dish. What is your favorite sandwich? Well, I have to say this is a toss-up between a hard-boiled egg sandwich, lots of butter and lots of salt, yes, um, or a good old-fashioned bacon butty or a chip butty. Oh, so I'm showing showing my northern roots there. (laughs) Three great options. Yes, yeah. So. yeah, yeah, I like the idea of got, the hard... it's, it's winter time. I've got the sort of comfort food and going We're on all hibernating right now. Um, I like the idea of the hard-boiled egg sandwich. Yes, it's, yeah. it's very simple, but it's a goodie. Yeah, simple but effective. Yeah. I like it. Okay, so I going back to what you were saying before, I really love how you explained that it's sort of a big problem on paper, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people actually care about it. But then you discover it's a big problem. People do care about it, but are they actually going to take action? And what you discovered is those are three big hurdles and you are onto something where people were actually willing to do something about it. And that that process was really, a really, really important one to go through. The next hurdle after that was with a marketing budget of zero, how can we now spread the word. Yeah. Well, and then how do you, before spreading the word, you have to build the app. I mean, Mm -hmm. are you someone with a background in tech? Do you know how to build an app? I have managed teams that build apps, but I haven't actually um, built them myself. So what we did was we approached a development agency in Bristol called Simple Web. And how did you find them? It was... I sort of remembered them from when I used to work at Dyson in that part of the world. And it literally and just a case of reaching out to re- them. Reaching out to them. Were I you scared s- that maybe they would hear what you were doing and think, that's a good idea, we'll just build it? Do you know what? I, I wasn't. Well, actually, I tell a lie. That is a constant fear in your early days of doing a startup is that someone's going to steal your idea. Yeah. I then, though, sort of Googled or came across some articles about sort of stealing your ideas. And, and, and I now tell entrepreneurs, just don't be ridiculous. Nobody has the time, energy or enthusiasm to steal your idea. Yeah. Um, and actually, you should tell everybody about your idea because everybody can give you feedback and can help you on that journey and connect you with people. So we quite quickly learned to overcome that very instinctive fear of sharing. Yeah, it is instinctive, isn't it? force ourselves to tell anybody, no matter where they were, about what we're doing. Because it's amazing what feedback you can get and, and who knows who. Yeah, that's such good so, advice. Yeah, yeah. so we, we called up Simple Web. We spoke to Mark, the partner there, and he actually, to his credit, immediately got it and loved what we were trying to do. And they ended up being our first investors. So oh my they gave goodness, us, that's a dream. It was a total dream. So they gave us a reduced day rates in exchange for a small equity stake in the company. Perfect. And that was really what helped us finance building the app because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to do it. Well, yeah, ourselves. I mean, I'm completely clueless. Is it the kind of thing where you need hundreds of pounds or thousands of pounds or hundreds of you, thousands? You need tens of thousands <laughs> tens of pounds. Okay. But the key thing though is to make sure that you are building 
a minimal viable product. So we had also in parallel sort of drunk the Kool-Aid on Eric Rees's book, The Lean Startup. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, which was that coupled with our user feedback ringing in our ears saying it only needs to be slightly better than a WhatsApp group. That was what enabled us to really strip out all the features that we were previously convinced we needed. Yeah. And build something just very, very simple. Yeah. And and that also really helped make it affordable. Yeah. You don't need all the bells and whistles. Nope. It just needs to be functional. And yeah. yeah. Okay. Moving on to the fifth desert island dish of the day. What is the dish you eat the most often? So I I don't know whether it counts as a dish or not, but I am very, very partial to making my own smoothies. Ooh. And that is something that now I've got young kids, their idea of sort of eating an apple is to <laughs> eat half of it. I find various sort of unloved remains and sort of slightly brown bananas. Oh, yeah, you must um, find that quite stressful. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, hating food waste and, and plus just sort of managing our own fridge as well. So smoothies for me are the ultimate sort of food waste busting dish, if you like. Yeah. So I will just be completely creative according to what I've got on hand and we'll put in all the unloved wrinkly sort of fruits and veggies. Full fat Greek yogurt Ooh, yes. um, is really important. And then I'll occasionally put in some um, you know, some porridge oats or flax seeds or spirulina or cinnamon or, or all sorts of things. So I kind of experiment according to my mood, but um, it's super healthy. It helps you get your five a day, stops food waste. And also the kids absolutely love helping make it. And they also love it afterwards. So it's another great way to sneak veggies in yeah. um, with your toddlers. So I have bought these ice lolly Ooh, makers. Yes. And so I will take extra smoothies, put it in the ice lolly makers. And then that way my kids can have Yum. zero waste, um, very healthy ice smoothie ice lollies in oh, summer. That's such a good idea. That sounds so good. Also, like you were saying, I mean, is it possible to make a gross smoothie? I don't think so. Like you just bung in stuff. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't actually. Um, no, I. It, I don't think. I, it's I don't possible. think it is possible. No, I don't <laughs> think it is either. <laughs> so, just I think it was just four or five months after you came up with the name, you launched the app into the app store. Yes. Um, I mean, that's incredible. That's you must have moved at the speed of light. We we did. So we had given us. We started on 9th of February, and we gave ourselves to the 31st of December of that year to make it work, or we'd have to go back and get proper jobs. Yeah. And so we were absolutely on a mission and we knew, we, we weren't super clear on what making it work would look like, but we did know that we would need at least sort of six months worth of data to show that we had got some traction okay, and things yeah. working. So that was why we really worked flat out to get um, all the branding and the legal work and the product, first version of the product build done. And so we did that in five months, so five months to the day. Um, so 9th of July... 2015, uh, we went live in the App Store first and then three weeks later in, in Google Play. I guess it just shows several things. It shows if you really want to do something, you can make it happen. And I also think it shows like one of my favorite sayings at the moment is like done is better than perfect. And I could, obviously your app is amazing, but it was a case of getting the first one out there and you can always build on it. That, and improve. that, that is definitely right. So for example, our, our first set of branding, we went on people per hour and paid someone £300 to do us a logo, our color palette, basic sort of 
style guide, guide, not even that really. And, and that was it. Yeah. Now I've worked in organizations where you can spend six months of course. on your branding. Uh, but and what like we knew, millions of pounds. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but what we knew is that we weren't going to succeed or fail on the basis of our logo. Oh. So we needed something that was good enough. And the key thing was to get the product into users' hands as quickly as possible so they could start giving us feedback yeah. about what they liked, what they didn't like. And that then guided our product roadmap. Um, so launching in the app store, that's great. How do you then get people to download it? How did you spread the word? So what we did after the first 12 people, you might remember I mentioned who yes. took part in the WhatsApp group. At the end of their debrief with us, without fail, they all said, how can I help? How can I help get Olio going? And we were very clear from the outset that we were building a two-sided marketplace. And that meant that you needed supply and demand. Yeah. Um, but that you have to start with supply. So when we first uh, drive people to the app, there have to be some listings on there. So we asked those first 12 people if they would mind raiding their cupboards and during launch week, making sure that there was plenty of food on the app. Prior to that, we had spent a couple of months doing boots on the streets, attending farmers markets, giving out free food on high streets and signing people up to be alerted when the app launched. So by the time we launched the app, we already had about 2000 emails that we could communicate that the app is now available. We focused just in five small postcodes of North London because we knew that we had to make it work in a, in a small geography where we could balance supply and demand. Yeah, there's no point finding something delicious you want to no. eat in Edinburgh if no. you're in London. E- exactly. <laughs> so, but that's through that experience, that was where the ambassador model really started to develop. And today we find ourselves with over 15,000 ambassadors who are all volunteers and they are people who are passionate about our mission, who want Olio to work near them. And so we've really focused on providing them with all the tools and tips and tricks and materials that they need to get a thriving food sharing network happening in their community. Ah, that is amazing. And so that really, really helps us because we don't have a big marketing budget. It helps us to spread the word in a way that we just couldn't do otherwise. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to the sixth desert island dish of the day, what is your go-to dinner party dish? Well, I have recently got married. Congratulations. Thank you, about a week ago. Oh wow, that's so exciting. (laughs) Thank you. And the day after the wedding, we had a big party at our house for about 60 people and I uh, did the catering for that. And I have a fabulous veggie lasagna, which is really, really good. It's cost effective um, and it's easy to cook in bulk and it tastes absolutely delicious. And even the meat lovers were raving about it. What's the secret? What goes in? Well, the secret is lots of variants of cheese. Yes. (laughs) cheese, mozzarella cheese, and and lots of fabulous veggies. So courgette and mushrooms uh, and lots of pasta sauce. You make something as a substitute to the meat or is it just layered up? No, it's just just layered up veggies with a ton of cheese and a ton of pasta sauce. So it's really, really easy to make and tastes delicious. So... That um, was definitely a big hit. What did you make for pudding? Well, 
Oh, funny, funny <laughs> you should ask that. But I do make a pretty mean lime and ginger cheesecake, Ooh. which again is very, very easy to make. We don't have to tell anyone phenomenal. that. Phenomenal. No, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm definitely sort of, it's all about speed. Definitely. <laughs> um, so is that with like a, a, make, a, so a it's, biscuit base? It's, yeah. So it's ginger nut biscuits Yum. crushed with a bit of butter. Then for the uh, cheesecake itself, it's a combination of Philadelphia, double cream, stem ginger, and lime juice and lime zest. You had me at double cream. All whisked up. <laughs> and I have to say it does, even if I do say so myself, it does taste phenomenal. Yeah. And it's very easy to make. That sounds really good. What a great dinner party. So it's now 2017 and you're still here, which yes. means you didn't mm-hmm. go back to your day jobs. Yeah. You've had so many downloads. You've won awards. Apple nominated you the best new app. I wondered, is there any aspect of the app that has surprised you that sort of wasn't necessarily what you envisaged or what you planned, but as it's grown, the users have kind of used mm. it in a way that has taken you by surprise. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of examples yeah. <laughs> of that actually. I think the first thing that has really surprised us is how strong the demand for the food is. So we initially thought, gosh, I wonder if there will be people who are prepared to walk or cycle or whatever to a neighbor's house to pick up uh, some food. Yeah. And the answer is a resounding yes. So 40% of our food listings are requested in less than one hour <gasps> of being added to the app. So that's truly amazing. So that was definitely a first big surprise. The second thing that we hadn't fully appreciated when we launched the app was the power of the community. So we were approaching earlier very much from a reducing food waste perspective, but we have learned that just as a result of connecting neighbors with each other on the doorstep, all sorts of amazing relationships have been built. Incredible stories are happening. And it really is the community aspect that our users love most. I, I love that it's obviously it's amazing to provide food to people who don't have food. I can't mm-hmm. get away from that. That's yeah. obviously an amazing mission. But from all the research, it it's it surprised me that that isn't the main or you know, there are so many it's also about people who could afford food, but they yeah. don't want that food to go to waste. And it's sort of the sharing yeah. aspect, which the, is... The sharing is really the key thing. And actually, we are very clear to position sharing as, this is just the sensible thing that yeah. is part of modern, sustainable, everyday living. And we do not position Olio as about the haves giving to the have-nots. One, yeah. because that's not true. But two, also, yes, we do have a number of our users who are collecting food via Olio, which means that they can eat that night. Yeah. And that is just just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. But what those users tell us they love about Olio is the fact that there's no stigma associated yeah, with using like the app. It's not like going to a food it's bank. It's not like which going to obviously a... there's nothing wrong with going to a food bank, but no, it's but a different there, there, there is there is um a stigma. There is a stigma yeah. a, a, attached with that whether we whether we like it or not. And so what 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 those users love about Olio is there are no forms, there are no quotas um, no stigma and they get to meet a neighbor. Yeah. And it's just a really, really sort of fun, enjoyable experience. The other thing that uh, surprised us as well that we had to adapt to was quite quickly, our users started adding non-food listings to the app. And we, 
initially were taking those down because it felt like a very weird user experience to be scrolling through lots of delicious food and then suddenly see a desk, a desk or a shower head or <laughs> some vanish yeah, not cleaner or something quite like as that. delicious as no. that organic chicken stock. Um, we quickly realized it wasn't scalable for us to take all of those listings down. We also spoke to our users and realized that they don't just hate food waste, they hate the concept of waste in general. Yeah. And we all have lots of stuff just gathering dust in our house, which is being wa- the world's precious resources that are being wasted that would um, you wouldn't necessarily want to sell. You don't necessarily want to ship across the country, but that a neighbor would love to use. So yeah. perhaps some toiletries or cosmetics or light bulbs or bubble wrap. And so instead of fighting against it, we created a separate section for that that sort of sits behind the main food experience. That's a good idea. I like that. I mean, I've got this magical space on my pavement outside my house where if you put any piece of furniture with it a little goes. note. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, but obviously, um, Olio is way it's better. It's a bit more, we- <laughs> bit more weatherproof. Yes. <laughs> so as a very successful tech entrepreneur, I wondered, what is your advice for anyone out there who has maybe got an idea and is sort of tentative about starting? What would you say? Several things. So I think I've already touched on it's got to be the right time in your life. Yeah. So you need to definitely have conversations with your nearest and dearest and be certain that you have the emotional and mental and physical bandwidth to give to this because it's a 24 seven type thing. So it has to be at the right time in your life. I would definitely recommend doing it with a co-founder. Statistics also show that your chance of success, um, in particular around fundraising, are much, much higher if there are two or three co-founders. Any more than that, um, actually, that, that doesn't apply. Too many. Too many. I strongly encourage you to just become an obsessive podcast listener yeah, <laughs> uh, because you can learn a huge amount from other people who have been before you. So Sasha and I have lots of favorite podcasts that we listen to pretty religiously. I mean, Desert Island Dishes is obviously the number one. (laughs) Clearly, clearly. And what are your others, Tessa? (laughs) The others are This Week in Startups. Yes. Also Traction, Mixergy, Recode Decode. How Ooh. I how I built this. Love how I built this. Yeah. So I, I'm yet to listen to a podcast and not have one, if not more, uh, insights or pieces of inspiration I can directly apply yeah. to what we're doing with Olio. I think the other thing that I would really encourage all entrepreneurs to really think about is is to try and get as much validation as possible around the fact that they are solving a real problem that enough people care enough about. And it's too many products. I think it's very easy to imagine the end game. Won't it be wonderful when millions of people are all using this product? But the reality is in order to get there, you have to have some people who are obsessed with your product, who will forgive you all your weaknesses and flaws in the early stage. And actually the journey is a a series of stepping stones. Yeah, And you need those users who are so passionate about the problem you're solving that they will help you along those really, really difficult early stages. Which has been really interesting to hear that has been key for you, but obviously that only comes from you having the great idea. From us having a mission and a a, a real problem that we're trying to solve. Right. Tessa, we're on to the final, the seventh Desert Island dish of the day. What is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island? This one uh, is a very easy one for me. It is a full Christmas dinner. Ah, oh, how apt for <laughs> with, this time of year. This time of year, but even if it was the height of summer, absolutely uh, with all of the trimmings, 
followed by uh, homemade Christmas puddings. My mum makes all her Christmas puddings in sort of September, October time and then douses them Ooh, liberally, liberally with sherry and brandy and things like that. And then uh, with homemade brandy butter, which I make <sighs> myself. Brandy butter. And also we, uh, in our household, inspired by my dad, we tend to have golden syrup as well with our oh. Christmas pudding, which is oh my crazy indulgent. So we I have Christmas pudding, brandy butter, golden syrup and white sauce. Wait, that's heaven. White sauce on the Christmas pudding. Yeah. As in what kind of white sauce? It's just a very plain, simple white sauce that my mum makes. Like you'd make, like with a roux? Yeah. You have that on your Christmas pudding? Yeah. It helps provide some sort of contrast to, I think, the just incredible richness and indulgence of... So you literally... The pudding. As in the butter, the the flour, you add milk, you make a white sauce and then you... I think I'm going to have to try that. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. You're, I think there's someone, someone I heard of the other day who loves Christmas so much that they have a separate Christmas meal, sort of Midsummer's Eve. Maybe, maybe you I like think that. Of that. Yeah, <laughs> your your face is lit up. Yeah, and you're allowed to take with you one non-essential essential item. What would you like to take with you? Well, to take my mobile phone would be cheating. Yep. Um, I don't know how much signal you're going to get there. No, so it might be a waste. No, of a... I mean I. Gosh, I think I would just take an encyclopedia or something like that. Ooh, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to have hours and hours and you hours are. on that desert island. Yeah. Um, I would need some form of entertainment stimulation, and it might even teach me a few useful things that will help me survive on that desert I love island. That. So, have you ever yeah. seen that um, Friends episode where Joey Tribbiani can only afford one, so he picks like the letter X? <laughs> <laughs> I will give you all insight. Thank you, thank you. I would really, I might need that if I'm going to survive on this desert island. Thank you so much for letting us hear your desert island dishes. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't that just the best idea for a business? One of those, oh, why didn't I think of that ideas? If you've ever overcated for a dinner party or had food left in your fridge when you're off on your holidays, Olio seems like such an obvious answer. And I'm that weird person that packs a bag of fridge food and schleps it at my sister's house whenever I go and stay. I have to be honest and say she isn't always grateful to receive these food presents. So Olio seems like such a great option and I've already signed up. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to check out the website, www.desertislanddishes.co. And you can see all the recipes inspired by the guest choices. And you can also come and find me on Instagram at Made by Margie. And I will see you next time for another episode of Desert Island Dishes. Have a great week. <laughs>